Hello there, this is Brian Melanson. You've tuned in to this session of the Altitude Sessions podcast. We're glad you're with us. You know, today we're going to go through time. We're going to go through space. We're going to make an incredible leap, maybe, in talking about how some of the latest scientific theory around the universe and what's going on there actually translates back into the expansionary market forces behind the healthcare economy. So join us for a hell of a ride. This one should be interesting. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you know, I think about when we start out on these intros and, man, I'm just trying not to make them sound goofy these days, but I tell you, the the actual topic for this one is, it's pretty interesting. You know, we're going to make a, maybe in your minds, a hell of a leap before it's all said and done on some of the latest thinking around what's going on in the universe and how, you know, it's expanding and what that means when you start to really think about some of the big questions. Some of those big questions are, how did the universe begin? How's it going to end? And when you start to think about those questions, you uncover as some of the leading scientists that are thinking through those, those types of issues are starting to uncover. You uncover some of the forces behind what's going on in the universe. And you can take some of those forces, take some of that scientific learning, and make a leap over into the expansion, the growth, the approach that's being taken in the, the health economy today. And it may seem like a fantastic leap for some of you, but that's what we do here. We're trying to help you think differently. So I think our hashtag always says, we're here to elevate your healthcare thinking. Well, we're elevating it today. We're going to look up and we're going to keep looking up and we're going to go further and further and further, billions of years out, and then kind of work it back into what that means to you in healthcare. So sure, it's probably a fantastic journey today, but it should be an interesting one. You know, let's just start with some of the, the science and some of the basic, you know, thinking around just how we think. And when we start there, you know, the thing about us is as humans, you know, they say we're very deterministic. We like to get to outcomes. And it's one of the greatest things that comes with the way our brains work, but it also sometimes is one of our greatest flaws because in everything that we think about, we think about in terms of action. We think about in terms of, well, gosh, it has to have a beginning and an end. So that reference point of something has to begin and something has to end is actually the logical framework for how our brains want to work. It's really, really difficult for us as humans, to, to think outside of that construct. When you, you get to the idea of looking up in the stars in heaven and, and you look beyond, beyond that and you start to see, even with the naked eye and in the dark sky, other galaxies in our universe and other remarkable features, some of which are just beyond definition because of the the beauty and how it stirs things inside of us. But when you look up there and you start to really ponder some of the, the big questions, you know, why are we here? How did we get here? Where's the beginning and the end? Going back to that deterministic thinking, there is a lot of work that's been going on for centuries, actually, with 
some of the greatest philosophers all the way into religious scholars, into the scientific folks that are looking into things today. And, you know, there, the theories on a lot of this stuff are varied, and God, it's really hard to prove some of this stuff, but there are some advances in science that are taking us there. And when you start with just the entire thinking around the, the universe itself and, and how it came to be, if you go all the way back to like Aristotle, you know, he believed that the universe has always existed. It doesn't have a beginning and an end. And going back to that way we think, we, that's something that's very difficult for most of us to, to wrap our heads around. We like to think in the beginnings and the ends. Even when we think about questions about the afterlife and other things, we, we, we wonder and ponder through religion and you know through atheism and other things, we wonder and ponder what happens when we take our last breath. Is that the end or is it the beginning of something new? And, you know, you get into the science of this and you think about the universe itself. Aristotle had his viewpoint and said, look, there is no beginning or an end. It is as it's always been and as it will always be. And, and the thing that some of the scientists that came after him had a really hard time wrapping their head around again because we're deterministic in the way we think. You know, you start to bring onto the scenes people like Einstein, who in 1915, you know, brought forward the general theory of relativity. I'm not going to go into the whole view on that, other than just the fact that the thinking there was time didn't exist before the universe did. But when the universe went through the Big Bang and started to expand and come into the universe that we know and see now, when we look up into the sky, with all the galaxies and the space and the matter and the black holes and other things that are all contained within it. That's when time began. And time is, in, in Einstein's view, it's not this fixed point. It's actually defined, it's a variable thing that's defined by the matter and the energy that's in the universe. And that's constantly expanding. And as it expands, time expands with it. And that's, that's an interesting approach because it, it just basically, you know, goes to the way we think in, in some regards. It says, look, there's no real reason to have a discussion around time before the universe began because it's just silly. It didn't exist. It was kind of just sitting there in this, 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 this place, which we'll talk about here in a bit. And stick with me, guys. I promise you, we're going to wrap this back into, into healthcare. But by setting this up, what I want to do is I want to take you on a little bit of a trip to get you to think about the ending. And if we have some theories on what the end could look like, even in our industry, what are some of the steps that we're taking today to accelerate what we do? to plan for that ending. And there's, there's some strategic contexts that can be pulled out of this that are different and unique and that may cause you to think just a little bit differently about even where you are today. Hell, you might even start questioning how close to the end we really are. Are we almost there or are we 100 years away? Are we 200 years away? Are we 10 years away? 
And I think those are questions, the big questions that when you slow down every once in a while, they're worth pondering. Because they do help you inform some of the decisions that you need to make today. So on this universal journey, you know, a little over 13.8 billion years ago, the universe, it is believed, was in effect the size of a single atom. It's what scientists call kind of the subatomic ball of everything, known as the singularity, and not to be confused with the singularity in the context of artificial intelligence, which is, which is different. That singularity is when artificial intelligence gets so advanced that it moves beyond the context of what the human brain can do, and we move into a new, a new era of machine, man, I don't know if we coexist or not, but machine man doing our thing. But at some point, you know, the belief is the singularity gets achieved in artificial intelligence where the machines are just smarter than we are. And it moves us into that next evolutionary sphere of how life will work here and and other places. Mind trip, sure, maybe. But, you know, when you go back to the thinking, you know, basically the entire galaxy, as big as it seems, billions of years ago was just a speck. And then the Big Bang happened. But before we get to that, you know, folks that we've referenced even in past podcasts, like Stephen Hawking and others, they used in their thinking something called the no, the no boundary proposal, which means that the universe literally has no boundary, and that before the Big Bang, going back to you know even Einstein and the theory of relativity, time really didn't exist. And to make it even seem crazier is that if you were to rewind the universe from where we are to now, today, now, right now, if you were to rewind it. Time would shrink as the universe shrunk, as it shrinks. And as we were to shrink it all the way back to that subatomic, you know, little ball of energy, time would shrink with it. So it's this expansion of the universe that actually creates the context of time and actually allows us to have some meaning with time. Time means something to us because the universe is expanding. What's interesting about the science as you move in even further is that the universe itself, we've found, isn't expanding at a constant rate. And there's some debate in the community about what that really means. And is there a gap even in the science as we know it today that exists because we struggle in defining what this means based on our current level of understanding? And I'll explain what that means here in a second, but what we are finding and there was a professor in John, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore that won the Nobel Prize for Physics in the 90s that basically showed that the universe isn't expanding at a constant rate. It's actually accelerating its level of expansion. It's growing and expanding at a faster and faster rate as time moves on. Healthcare and its cost structures also are expanding. And continuing to expand. Now, you can argue whether it's at an accelerated rate more, 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 but it is expanding. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here, here in a bit. But, you know, to give you the, the truth, if you want to have a true geek out moment, or if you don't want to have a geek out moment, maybe uh, go and grab yourself a coffee or a drink, you know, for a couple minutes. But what they found 
just recently when looking at the level of expansion, the rate of expansion in the universe was that it's currently expanding at 46 miles per second per megaparsec. And one megaparsec is 3.6 million light years. Now, I'll tell you, I went into the scientific deep dive on this and wanted to understand what a megaparsec is, and I quit. I had one of those, holy shit, my brain's exploding moments, and said, good enough, we'll just say what they said it is and call it good. And I think for the purposes of you listening, I think that's probably a good place to, to end it. The expected rate, just to give you some relativity here, again, going back to making everything relative, the expected rate was if the universe is expanding at a constant rate, it's supposed to be 41.9 miles per second per megaparsec. It's at 46. So something happened when the Big Bang happened and the universe was went through this, what they call kind of an inflation period, where it just expanded really fast, and then it started at some rate of growth beyond that, that was at 41.9 miles. And then they, if it was to expand at a constant rate, it would stay there, but it isn't. It's at 46.0 miles now, billions of years later, which means that it is gradually speeding up. And then as things get further and further away, there's some energy or something that's driving this expansion, and it's driving it at a faster and faster rate. Now, that thing is what they believe it's dark matter. And this is that moment when some of you may feel like you're in Ben Stein's class and Ferris Bueller's day off, and it's like that Bueller, Bueller moment where you're like, oh my God, just stop this stuff. Let's just get into the healthcare stuff. And I, I get it. So here's where we're going to start to run the three theories on how the universe is going to end and then make some decisions on how that, or make some jumps, some analogies on how that may apply to some of the things in the health economy and some of the things that you're doing. You guys ready? I think that of the three theories, the one is just basically the universe is going to continue to expand forever. And eventually it's going to spread itself apart so far that it's going to run out of energy and it's going to get really cold and it's just going to basically flame out. So that's one theory that it's just going to continue to expand. And if you look at some of the economic stuff that we're doing in our country, and if you look at some of the, the thinking that has been wrapped in with some of the business strategies and other things, not only in healthcare, but other parts of the, the economy in our country, there has been this level of thinking for the longest time, with the exception of a few contrarians that betted against it, that betted against things like the, the housing market and the mortgage crisis and then the financial crunch that came in the late 2000s the general underlying thinking of all the derivative products and other things that were put into play was that, you know, mortgages and housing costs, they, they could continue to rise at a pretty gradual rate for, for quite a long time and, and thus creating this perceived economic value in, in households across the country that would drive wealth creation, would drive the economy, and 
would keep default rates relatively in check. Well, that came crashing down pretty spectacularly and nearly drug the entire world down with us in the late 2000s because that level of expansionary thinking at some point ran, ran out, or at least it reset. And there was a pretty big bailout, and maybe that was fuel to create another expansionary system, which we're currently under here, you know, 10 plus years later. Take a drink on that. Oh, man. Some heady stuff. But that's, that's, one, that's one program. That's one thought. And the other, there's the two other theories that are out there. The second working theory is about the end of the universe. It's called the Big Crunch. And the best way I can describe that is it's kind of like you've got a balloon. You're blowing up a balloon for your for a birthday party for, you know, your, your significant other or maybe one of your kids. And you blow it up, you blow it up, and you push it out as far as you can. And if you don't tie it off, if you just allow the the balloon to remain open when you stop blowing it up, at some point, you you know, you can blow into it all you can. You're going to run out of air probably. And the balloon's going to get as big as it can get. And then when you let all the air out of the balloon, it contracts back to its original state. And that's a rough way of describing it. But in effect, what the scientists think that the galaxy, the you know, second theory for how it could end is that basically it's going to reach a constant where the energy, you know, kind of gets to a, a cosmic scale factor of what they call zero, which says that basically all the energy is expanding it. At some point, it finally reaches a constant. It stretches as far as it can. And then it starts contracting at the same rate all the way back into that subatomic particle. And that's the big crunch. And when it happens galaxies and planets and stuff will collide together and explode and it'll be this horrific horror movie that'll play out over, you know, billions of years. That's another description. That's another thought that I think a number of scientists now are starting to refute saying, I don't know if that's really that plausible. You know, it's probably just going to expand forever and then flame out or this third, which is this third theory, which is a new, kind of a new working theory, and it's called the Big Rip. And it assumes that the galaxy itself is, is really, the universe itself, full of galaxies itself, is actually flat. And that when you, kind of like if you were to take a piece of chewing gum in your mouth, and if you were to expand it with both of your fingers on both sides of your mouth and expand it out, working in opposite directions, given a long enough time, the malleability of the gum is, is going to break down. And at some point, the materials are going to stretch so thin that it's going to rip. And there's a thinking around that, that the galaxy could just rip. And it could rip itself apart at some point in the future. And, you know, it, it just becomes this thing where all the dark energy driving this growth drives it so far that it rips. And then there's the thinking that, okay, if it rips, does do the ends that rip, do they kind of reform and start again? Or does it just all kind of spectacularly flame out and that's that's the end of it? I don't think anybody has a true answer on that other than, you know, they describe the scenario where when the rip happens, the planets get ejected from their solar systems and are eventually torn apart and, you know, you know could reduce... And through that process, it could basically reduce all the various matter that's out there back into some jumbled up ball of its original state. And then we, again, we start new and the rip 
recycles the process. And, you know, it could be one of these life after death moments where this, this galaxy dies, but in its death, it returns all of its material for it to form something new and something new grows out of it. Okay. So the U S healthcare economy today is a 3.6, close to $3.7 trillion economy. And if you look at it in 2018, that is larger than the GDP of Brazil, Mexico, Spain, and Canada. Just to give you an idea, our healthcare economy is bigger than those countries' entire GDP. Our universe, so hang with me now as we start to make these analogous leaps, or laugh at me, I don't know, but we're going to have a little fun with this today. The galaxy, the universe, actually the universe that we've created around the health economy is, you know, maybe started small back in the 19, early 1900s and to where we are now, you know, almost a century later, it's quite a bit larger and it supports, you know, a large portion of the U.S. economy and puts a lot of people to work and other things. But I think we can move beyond the argument that it is, an economy that every year grows, it expands. And there are forces behind it that are driving that, that universe to continue to expand. So much like the beginning of the universe, there was something that formed it, something that accelerated its expansion, which you could say, you know, a lot of people would say that when we move from indemnity-based products into starting to stuff everything in HMOs and PPOs and other things and that's what's created some of the expansion, but also has created an opportunity to create one of the world's greatest R&D labs for, for healthcare-related products and services that just operates fairly unevenly. The, but, you know, the general construct is, is it's, it's expanding. It's expanding and it's growing. And then the question becomes, where is that, that limit? When do we reach the kind of this expansion and forever until it flames out? point or the big crunch where it all comes back together or the big rip where something happens where it expands so far and it just finally rips and tears itself apart. To give you more context on the size of the economy, the health economy particularly, and why it is such a hard thing to, to change, even though many of you are doing it on a day in and day out basis, is that, you know, you look at just three companies, Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, United Health Group, in between the three of them, you know, uh, current through July of this year, they comprise about $843 billion, with a B, $843 billion in market cap. They employ 500,000 people. So any solution that tries to slow down this expansion of the health economy is going to be met with a lot of resistance because there's a lot of money and there's a lot of people employed that live in the world and the expansion that we, we play in today. More examples of this kind of this dark matter, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you know, using the scientific term, the dark matter that's driving the energy and the growth and creating the concept and expansion of time and giving us something relative to work for and to think through. You know, more examples of that are, you know, in the digital health investment space. 
we've seen an 87% increase in funding between 2015 and 2018 in digital health companies. It was $4.6 billion in 15. It's $8.6 billion in 2018. Those folks that are putting money in new companies to define the digital health frontier are going to expect a return. And the only way to really get into return is that the universe gets bigger and applies more cost pressures across the system to, you know, make it, you know, a little bit more difficult to continue to rein in affordability. You know, as part of my sidebar on this real quick, there are a lot of people out there that in the, the current model we have today where we effectively pick winners and losers in the employer space and more and more so in the self-funded employer space, you know, really creative consultants can go out there and on a one-off basis or on a 5, 10, 15, 20 employer basis in a relative universe or construct, they can go out and make some big things happen. Where it gets interesting is when those things actually start to aggregate up to a point where there is a chief financial officer inside of a hospital institution that starts to look at the balance sheet and they go, what the fuck, what the fuck is going on? So all of these, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40% savings that are seen materially in, in, you know, this year, next year, three years from now, whatever, if enough employers start doing that stuff, there will be institutional pushback because the universe has a constant and the health economy wants to continue to expand. And that is the, the game that, that's played. And even in the universe, some galaxies are moving faster than others. You can say that in the healthcare construct, some employers are moving faster than others. Some of the inventions and things going on between Medicare Advantage companies are moving faster than others. So it's not a constant speed between all these various things. They're all moving at varying speeds. But the general thinking is, is that the universe as a whole wants to continue to expand. It's set up to expand. All the investment forces and other things in it are driving it to expand until we reach some, some end. Maybe that's one way to think. And maybe you have a different way to think, and that's, that's great. But that's the debate we like to continue to have. That might be something that triggers you to come back and say, no, 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 no. That's the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. This is really how I think it works. And that's okay. Again, that's, that's perfectly okay. And having that discussion, because it triggered you to think a little bit differently, is, is really the intent of these types of conversations. The conversations you and I are having right now, while you're sitting in your car, or while you're on an airplane, or sitting at your desk, or whatever the hell you're doing. Just please, God, don't be in the bathroom right now or something. But <laughs> and if you are, hey, it's all good too, I guess. But that's, that's the, the interesting part of all this is just there can be winners and losers. You go back to even when a lot of the research I've done, you know, that, that inspired me and may help me think a little bit differently with the kind of a, a historical background on in the industry and where we are and versus where we've been was the last time we had this universal healthcare argument which is rearing back up and we talked about several times in the populism of the country and what we need to do to solve for it and other things. And we'll talk about that a heck of a lot more because there's a lot more room to run on all that stuff. But the thing that 
you know, I looked at is, was the argument around, you know, managed competition that came from the, the Jackson Hole group that happened, you know, a few decades ago versus physician groups and others that said, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense because to try to control for, for cost, you'll have an impact on quality, you know, the quality of the work that we do. And that's the argument and the counterbalance and the weight and stuff that still plays out today. But, you know, if you go back and you look at it, there was a period when the HMO was originally created where there were substantial cost savings and when they were unique and unique designs and unique organizational structures that were built around designing those types of programs, they actually showed a, a, a pretty nice sustained period of cost savings for the folks that enrolled in those types of managed care networks. But as time marched on and as more companies went to that style or that model, what ended up happening? There was a more of an equilibrium in cost again because across the universe, everybody figured out how to play the game. And even in the world today, when you hear stories about large employers or midsize employers self-funded that have these, these incredible gains, what isn't always talked about on the other side is, did the hospital lay off people? Did the, did the hospital organization also show the same accretive cost reductions in the way they operate their programs and processes and procedures and other things on the other side of those cost savings? Because if the answer is no, what probably happened was there was cost shifting. That's why, you know, institutional hospitals and others look at payer mix so much because it is a game. And when they can, they can shift the cost from one direct employer contract over to some other pool of risk or some other pool of employers that are accessing their services, they're doing that because they still have, at the end of the day, a fixed administrative baseline that they have to work from. And until that baseline retracts, which again, maybe in the law of the universe, it's very difficult to do because again, the, the things that sit inside those hospitals are multiple union contracts and, and things that are very difficult to change, which makes those systems, while well-intentioned, sometimes very clunky and very expensive and very hard to change. And when that change happens, it usually happens pretty slowly. So things like pair mix are really important and things like managing through some of the market innovations that are pinging up against them become important. And given a long enough time frame, unless the actual system's cost at some point have something that's pushing on them to actually draw down the cost of the system itself, all these innovations in this very fragmented universe that we work in with all these, as again, let's just say all these various galaxies moving at various speeds in the form of the employer market, they they don't, they, they don't amount to the systemic scale, system-wise change that I think everybody wants to see. At least that's my opinion. So let's go back to these three theories and kind of wrap this up. Sidebar over. The premium in 2018, as we all know from Kaiser's Family Foundation, 19565, up from 17,322 in 2015, 13% increase more or less. That continues to go up, and that that universe continues to expand because, again, of all the 
cost pressures that are being dumped into the system and new realized investments and the fact that, you know, hospitals need to continue to fund various buildings and they need to fund various programs and services, the newest this and that, and insurers need the newest cost control methods and actuarial methods and AI and all, all the things that people are driving in this system as a whole continue to push outward pressure on the expansion of, of our healthcare galaxy. So let's just go with theory one real quick and say, so healthcare is just as, as a whole, it's just going to expand forever because of all these pressures. So when does it flame out? I mean, does it flame out when the cost gets so high that the government finally forces massive funding cuts and it just stalls everything? And then we reset from there and go? Or do we get to the point where there's no longer a market to purchase any of these services because they've, they've rapidly outpaced the ability for someone to write a check for any of it? So everything stalls and starts to contract and reset? That would be more like the second theory. It says at some point the balloon gets so big that it can't expand any further. There's no more checks to be written to expand the, the expansion any further, to grow this, this universe, any, this galaxy any further. Gosh, I keep using the universe and galaxy interchangeably, but stick with me. But you, you just can't expand as a whole any further. So then what, do we, what happens? Do we, does it start to contract all the way back to its original state? Because, or to contract at some point where checks can be written again? just to play, play that off a little bit. So I think that's, that's interesting. You know, most, like I said, most scientific folks, they, they think this second theory around the big crunch is kind of, it's a nice one, but probably not very probabilistic that it's going to happen. But if you think about this whole expands forever and reaches some upper limit and just flames out and just stops, stalls, gets cold, you know, does that point happen? You know, recent, polling through July of this year, even around things like universal payer, it still has a 51% favorability rate. As more of those policies come out and other things we've talked in the past, maybe that changes. But still 51% of favor, 42% opposed, largely along party lines, but it tends to be more left-leaning and independent seem to favor it more and more right-leaning folks seem to oppose it. But, you know, does that factor into some of this at some point to say that that's the the, that's when the dark matter gets cold and just stops expanding because there's so much opposition toward the expansion of this, this galaxy, this healthcare galaxy, that it just finally fizzles out. Like I said, we're making some leaps here, but stick with us. This is kind of fun. The third theory, if you recall, was the big rip. That's the expanding out a flat piece of gum out of your mouth until it just tears down the middle and just kind of you know, falls or you know, concaves out or in or whatever it ends up doing. Here's my question on that, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the future, but, you know, do things like the expansion of health savings accounts and decoupling them from high deductible health plans, do those, does a moment like that, because of the affordability challenges that are acute, does that actually create the moment in time when we start to see the rip in the existing system, in the existing model? where we actually, you know, we talk about it a lot, but where actually the consumers become fully in control of their spending and the employer becomes a mechanism to help offset some of the expense in the system, but that's the role they play. And then the employer takes the money and acts as much as possible in a consumer-given environment. And when you look at some of the recent proposals from the Goodman Foundation, which has, you know, Trump's ear and 
in others, you know, I, that's what they want, you know, kind of this decoupling from employment and true consumer spending capabilities and you extrapolate even further out. That's where you start to look at, you know, the terms of future competition in this industry, not being, you know, blues versus United versus Aetna versus Cigna versus community health plan versus whomever else. But you start to reorient the context if this rips and starts to form its own new boundaries where it forms into something else and it starts to expand again, you know, maybe in that rip, you know, the competition does become, as people have postulated in the past, it becomes the Amazons that have a, a distribution play to accommodate to consumers and allow for these consumer dollars to be spent through HSAs and other, you know, funding mechanisms in, in a way that reorients the way people stack products. We talked about it as part of the great unbundling event in the past podcast, but, you know, kind of expanding on, you know, as things rip, is that moment when HSAs move into territory where you can start using it for primary care and you can start using it for a new type of pharmacy solution. And, and in all of the various component parts, you start to see, you know, value innovation across what's currently a healthcare bundled ecosystem start to move into these micro solutions around digital health and, you know, pharmacy and delivering things to you at home or some type of a discount pharmacy program or, you know, subscription-based dental plans, subscription-based plans around even pharmacy, plans around direct primary care, plans around uh, some type of upper-end specialty care. And you bundle all these things back together and they become their component part of your very unique bundled solution for the individual paid for with HSA funds. And there's some of you that are very tied to the employer market and others go, hell no, we don't want that to happen. And that might be something that we want to keep HSAs bundled with high deductible health plans to keep the, the consumer as a movement moving, but to also keep it contained inside the employer environment. And those are the things that have to be debated and thought through. You know, what are the defined outcomes and how does this all settle out? Does it stay expansionary and keep it in the employer market? Does it rip and become more of a consumer thing with HSAs decoupled? I don't know, but that's kind of the cool thing about thinking about this outside the box a little bit around, you know, look at the galaxy and how people are postulating it's going to end. You start postulating how healthcare's expansion may end. If it ends, what are some of the solutions and things that you want to put in play today? Just thinking about that is kind of the, the final limit to where the, the industry may be going. So I think that's, that's a lot of fun. This has been a heck of a lot of fun just thinking through all of this and appreciate you taking the trip with me on this. And, you know, we'll, we'll do some more fun stuff like this in, in the future, but it's been kind of fun. You know, like when you go back outside the next time the skies are clear and you can look up in the stars, look and look beyond just what you can see in the Big Dipper and other things, look deeper and think about this concept of time and how it's interrelated with the expansion of the galaxy. And then think about your business and the team that you're leading and how it's tied to the expansion of the health economy. And knowing that, what are the moves that you need to make in the coming months and years to, to live in the side of this, the, I guess the law of the universe to be successful with your team. But just, you know, like I said, just to, kind of look up and maybe think deeper, think differently, 
and then make some plays from that. So hope you had a little bit of fun with this one. Thanks for tuning into the Altitude Sessions podcast. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Again, this is Brian Melanson at M4 Innovation. Thanks for tuning in.